0: Well, those of you that have been with us kind of know that we've been working through this video series over the past of the last uh, the course of the last few months, um, called "For the Life of the World: Letters to the Exiles." And if you haven't been able to see that, or if you've missed some, you can always go to our website and watch kind of some videos you might have missed to kind of catch up to speed uh, with us. We're going to take a break from that during the season of Advent, though. But the central question being asked throughout that video series is: What is our salvation actually for? What is it for? As followers of Christ whose lives have been redeemed, we've been given these amazing um, priceless gifts of unconditional love and hope and grace and joy that supersedes any circumstance we could be having in life of community, of eternity, and more. And it's all been granted to us and entrusted to us as gifts that then we are supposed to take and share with the world, and specifically, as we've been talking about, to the city in which we've been called as, as foreigners and exiles, the city of St. Joseph. In the past couple of weeks, we've been trying to really take some uh, a practical look at a verse that's kind of been our overarching uh, theme here these last few weeks of what does it really mean to live out Jeremiah 29.7. We'll just remind ourselves of that verse. This is when God is speaking to the people of Israel who have been sent away to Babylon as exiles, And he says, while you're there, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So while we are here in this city that isn't our ultimate home, but is just kind of our temporary dwelling place, how can we live in ways that that bring about the peace and prosperity of St. Joseph? And we've proposed uh, the last couple of weeks that the key quality that God is asking us to bring is this gift of hospitality, of loving the stranger, that when we value all people, that when we recognize uh, every person in St. Joe's God-given dignity, that only then can we really create an atmosphere or a culture in our town where, where real change is possible, real hope is possible for people. And then last week we talked about what are, what are some of the starting points then to really love the stranger. Those who are different from us racially, socioeconomically, politically, emotionally, whatever it might be. And we said it's important to begin with this understanding that we were once all strangers to God. And last week Justin showed a verse in Ephesians. I want to review with you again from Ephesians chapter 2. It says, Remember that in those days you were living utterly apart from Christ. You were lost, without God, without hope. But now you belong to Christ Jesus. And though you once were far away from God, now you have been brought very near to Him because of what Jesus Christ has done for you with His blood. Now you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Without God and without hope, that's, that's kind of the, the nature in which we're all brought into this world. And we talked about the fact that not only are, were we once strangers to God, but we actually were also his enemy. And we looked at that in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, reminds us of that truth. It says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Strangers and enemies. We wanted life our way, on our terms. And the amazing, beautiful, wonderful promise and and message of the gospel is this, is that while we were in that state, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He embraced us. He loved the stranger, you and I. And invited us into his family through the costly death of his one and only son, Jesus. And for those of us who have embraced that gift and now have been called children of God and brought into his family, then the question that we have to wrestle with is this. How can we withhold that love from anyone? How could we possibly consider ourselves, people who were strangers and enemies to God, better than or above any other person. It'd be kind of like uh, a meeting of, of two drug addicts who look at each other and one guy says, man, your life is a mess. You really need some help, right? Just doesn't make any sense. You see, God spent a fair amount of time reminding his people where they came from. In the Old Testament in particular, his people, the Jewish nation, he reminded them time and again, guys, listen, you used to be foreigners and slaves in Egypt before I rescued you. Don't forget that. Look at this verse in Deuteronomy ten nineteen. It says, he's reminding his people now that they're in the promised land. He says, and you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. In other words, guys, don't get all cocky now that everything's going your way, now that you're living in this promised land and you're getting all these blessings and life seems really good. Don't forget where you came from. And we all need that reminder, don't we? We were all once strangers and enemies of God. And so then how can we consider ourselves better than anyone whose path we cross walking the streets of St. Joe? And in terms of loving the strangers, we seek the, the peace and prosperity of a city. In addition to our own understanding of our true identity and who we are, kind of where we came from and where God has brought us, it's really important that we also understand the true nature of our model, Jesus Christ himself. And as Christ's followers, we're called to be his imitators. And so we swear our allegiance to a man who understood in in some very clear terms what it meant to be a stranger in this world. Most of us kind of know the story of Jesus' birth, at least if you've seen the uh, Peanuts Christmas show, you at least have a sense of what that is, right? Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary... Uh, Right when they're getting ready, you know, it's about time to deliver, there's this decree that goes out that that everybody has to return to their ancestral home for the census that the Roman Empire wants to take. And so Joseph and Mary hop on a donkey, you know, she's nine months pregnant, and they ride down to Bethlehem, which is the, the city of David, Joseph's ancestor. And when they get there, strangers to town, right, they say, there's no room for you. And so they have to, you know, they're forced uh, to use a cave as a birthing room. Welcome, not home, right? And then their family really hasn't gotten to be a family very long before they have to hit the road again. If you remember in the story, there's a, a king in that area, King Herod, who considers himself the king of the Jews. And he starts to hear about these prophecies of, of this new king that's supposed to be coming, this Messiah. And he's heard all these rumors and people traveling from a far away way away to see this, this baby that's supposed to be the king. And he feels threatened by that. And so he puts out a, another decree and he says, I'm going to kill all boys, two and under, everywhere in this vicinity to make sure that I get this kid before he gets me. And so Joseph is warned in a dream and he packs up his family and they head off to Egypt foreigners, exiles, strangers, again. Fast forward 30 or so years in Jesus' life, and now he's an adult, and at the age of 30, he kind of steps out and reveals his true identity. All this time, he hasn't really been telling people who he is, and he starts in a different town, and he does some miraculous things, then after a few months, he comes back to his hometown and goes to kind of his home church, And he rolls open the scroll from Isaiah 61 that was written 700 years before his birth that kind of prophesied about the kind of person the Messiah was going to be. Jesus stands up and he reads this. And then he sits down and says, today this prophecy has been fulfilled in your presence. Basically saying, I'm the guy. (laughs) Who knew, right? The carpenter's son. It's me. And what kind of a reception does he get? Well, he's run to the edge of town and they try to push him off a cliff and kill him. So his hometown people, the people that he grew up with that knew him, treat him as a stranger. John, one of the uh, disciples who wrote one of the gospels about Jesus, he put it like this in John chapter 1, verse 10. Talking about Jesus, he says, he, Jesus, was in the world, and through the world, was, and though the world, I'm sorry, was made through him, the world did not recognize him. They didn't receive him. Jesus was a stranger. Fast forward to the end of his earthly days. So right before he's getting ready to go to the cross and he's saying some of his last things to his disciples. I want to pick up the story there. If you can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, page 695 in your pew Bibles. Your pew Bibles don't have the the letters of uh, words of Jesus in red, but if you were looking at my Bible, it's, it's all red. This is a pretty long discourse of Jesus kind of imparting some of his last words to his disciples. And starting in verse one, we hear this maybe familiar story of the sheep and the goats. Verse 31 of chapter 25 says, "'When the Son of Man comes in his glory "'and all the angels with him, "'he will sit on his glorious throne.'" I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is one of those passages that you read and you, you start to ask questions about what does it mean to be saved? <laughs> Jesus makes it seem like it's, it's going to be a lot based on how we treat the least of these, not so much on whether we say a prayer or or stand up at camp or get baptized or any of those things. Jesus says, I was a stranger and you invited me in. That's scary for a lot of us, isn't it? Because we live in a culture now that's really driven by fear. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid back in the, the 70s and early 80s, Um, in Liberty, where I grew up, I would get on my bike in the morning and I would just ride and roam the town, right? This is before cell phones. And so my mom really, for the most part, had no idea where I was. And I didn't call to check in. She might have had a vague idea that maybe I was gonna be here at this point. But basically the understanding was be back by dinner or before it gets too dark, right? Totally different world. And I never felt threatened or worried ever, now we you know, keep our kids inside or we keep them sequestered in our fenced-in backyard where we can keep our eyes on them at all the time so somebody doesn't get them right, safe. I told you guys a story about a year ago. It was a, a Saturday morning, and my, my daughters and my wife were up early. They were getting ready for a cheer competition, so they were putting on their fancy makeup. Okay, so I'm still in bed and because uh, I just come as you are, I mean, this is what you get, right? So it's 6:45, and my wife burst into our bedroom and says, there's a, "There's a strange man trying to break into our house." It's like, that's no way to be woken up in the morning, right? You're like, "Uh, oh, what?" So I run down to the front door, and we have this little window with a little curtain, and I peek around the curtain, and sure enough, there's a strange man trying to break into our house. And as soon as I came around the corner, before I was heading to the door, I hear this person jiggling the handle of our door. And right after that, I had Brian put some deadbolts on her door. But at that point, all we had was this little flimsy lock with the little button you turn, okay? So I'm freaking out. This is an amazing opportunity for me to invite the stranger into my house, right? (laughs) To show him some hospitality, right? Because it might be Jesus on the other side. Who knows, right? No. That is not at all what I did. I... Being resourceful, I went to the kitchen and grabbed a kitchen knife. <laughs> and I barricaded myself up against the door, kind of had one foot on the step behind me for some leverage. And I'm on the cell phone calling 911, right? Because this person is not leaving. And, and they're speaking a foreign language. And the only word that I understand sometimes is money. So I'm like, this is not good. So I'm on the phone calling, yeah, telling them, hey, this person's at our door. And right in the middle of that, This dude's hand comes through the glass through the window and starts trying to get me. And so I take that knife and I pinned his hand to the door. I didn't do that. I'm just kidding. In my dreams, I did that. What really happened was that the cops came and handcuffed him and took him away. But I had you for a second, didn't I? You're thinking, man, that Bob. He really would save us if a shooter came into church, right? He'd lay down his life. No, nothing like that. I was scared, right? Because I'm thinking, man, what if this person has a weapon? You know, if, if they get into my house and, and did something to my kids, would I be able to forgive myself ever, you know? But, but what if it was Jesus? Jesus? That, that thought will haunt you too sometimes. And we, and we live in this very real tension. We read things in the Bible about, you know, we're supposed to love the stranger and be hospitable to this person, but we live in this tension of, you know, what if we get burned? What if we do that and, and something bad happens to us? And, and, it, and it, it really uh, hurts our ability to be hospitable in a lot of ways. It really, it really hedges our bets sometimes. And I want to share a video with you today about a guy who... who uh, has been living in that tension for about 12 years now and has learned some things over the course of time, some wisdom he might have for us. I'm gonna let that video kinda explain it to you. I'm still not saying that I should have opened the door that morning because maybe it was Jesus trying to get into my house, but it certainly makes me think a little bit deeper about the walls that I put up um, because of fear in my life and whether that attitude really reflects the heart of Christ, the stranger. In his final comments, the author of Hebrews had this to say. Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Jesus comes to us in the least of these And in order to bring peace and prosperity to the city in which we've been called, he says, I want you to love people. I want you to be hospitable to strangers, to identify yourselves with those in suffering as if you were suffering with them. And so this week, as I've been writing this, I've had to ask the question, is that my life? Is that what my life looks like? And I want to take this one step further this morning. Not only was Jesus a stranger to many, but his ways were strange as well. His teachings made him strange to his own people. So help me out here. You can raise your hand if you got an answer. What are, what are some of Jesus' strange teachings that kind of go that kind of fly in the face against our normal human nature or our culture? What are some of those things that are kind of strange teachings to us because of how we seem to be wired in in a different way sometimes? Yeah. The first shall be last. last. Great example. What else? Yeah. What's that? Love your enemy. enemy. Yeah. Keep them coming. Yes, Phil. I've I've healed you, but don't go tell anybody. Yeah. Yes. What's that? Turn the other cheek, yeah. Yeah. Forgive seven times 70 times, times, right? If your brother comes and repents to you, sure. Anything else? Get a German shepherd. shepherd. That that must be a version I haven't read. Yes. Okay, yeah, forgive those who persecute you, okay? Yeah, the, 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 the least among you will be the greatest. The first will be last. I mean, all those things that we hear, right? And, and it is. It's, it's crazy. And his teachings were a call to come and die. He said, if you're going to be my follower, I want you to take up your cross every day and come and follow me. And, and in his stories that Jesus would tell to his fellow Jewish people, a lot of times it was the foreigner. It, it, was, it was the stranger It was the unexpected person who was often the hero, not them, and they hated him for that. It'd be like if Jesus came today and he told the story about the good neo-Nazi, right, who did this really kind thing while the Christians stood by and didn't pay attention to the person in need, or if he told the story of the good KU fan, and we'd be like, that's not possible. (laughs) How could they love better than me, right? And when Jesus was on trial, he'd been arrested, he's taken into the, the, the court of the, the high priest Caiaphas, and, and Peter kind of tags along. And he's, he's kind of slinking around in the shadows, trying to get close enough to the gate, to the courtyard, to kind of hear what's going on in there, but not be identified. And as he's standing there, some people start to, to kind of recognize him, and, and they ask Peter, like, hey, don't you know, this Jesus guy, haven't you been with him? And this is the famous scene where Peter kind of denies Jesus three times. And one of the things he says is, I don't know the man. And one commentator I was reading this week was saying that in a lot of ways, that was really kind of a confession by Peter. That after three years of following him and living with Jesus day in and day out, and in a lot of ways, he really felt like, I really don't know who this guy is. This guy that I thought was a savior, that was the king, that was going to free us is now being arrested and accused and being put on trial, I don't know this guy, and I don't understand his ways. And how true is that? I mean, I've almost been following Christ for almost 30 years now, and there's so many times where I feel like the same thing, man. Man, I thought I had this Jesus figured out, and then I find out he's really nothing like what I thought. I thought I understood his ways, but his ways seem to be elusive at times, And we celebrate Christmas every year for a reason. We have these rhythms in our church calendar because we forget. And every year and really kind of every day, I need the reminder that I was a stranger. I was hungry to be loved and known. I was thirsty to to have purpose and meaning and truth in my life. I was naked and vulnerable to the the world's attacks. I was imprisoned to my false beliefs about what my true identity was found in. And in the midst of that pitiful state, Jesus broke in to my life. When I was unlovely and broken and he met me there. And he embraced this stranger. And he showed me hospitality. And he saved me. Jesus came into this world a stranger in exile. 700 years before his birth, as we mentioned, the prophet Isaiah had a lot to say about this Christ. One of the things that he said was this. In talking about who Jesus would be, he said, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He, Jesus, had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. And then one writer that I I was reading this week said this, have you ever considered the thought that maybe Jesus came as a stranger so that no one would be a stranger again? Have you ever considered the thought that maybe Jesus came as a stranger so that no one would be a stranger again? So as we celebrate Advent in the weeks ahead, the question I want us to wrestle with and, and, and uh, the direction we, we want to move it, is: what does it look like to worship and adore and embrace the stranger? And not just the strangers that are all around us, but also this stranger's strange teachings. And to understand and, and embrace more deeply, what does it mean that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us? What are the implications of that? So when we're confronted with the stranger and these tensions and fear rise up, what does it mean that Emmanuel is in us? How does that help us respond maybe in a more Christ-like and loving way? See, Advent, in some ways, it's kind of a personal journey, a personal journey for us to kind of get in touch with what our need uh, is for, our need is for this Savior, uh, our appreciation and gratitude for this Christ and what he did for us. But it's also for us to kind of pour out in a lavish response uh, of gratitude for that truth. And so the next four Sundays, we're going to be presenting some ways in which you can participate with Wellspring's uh, expressions of hospitality, not only financially, but also with your life, with your heart, with your time. We're going to take a look at some of the things that the ministries that we're involved in in this community right around 22nd and Jules, the strangers that we... um, Maybe we don't meet, but we know we're out there. And how do we embrace them? How do we be a church that really shows hospitality and reflects Christ in that way? Would you pray with me? Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for some um, just reminders. That reminder that, um, that, God, we were strangers to you. We were enemies to you. But, God, you took us in. You opened your door to us when we didn't have anything to offer you. God, help us to to walk in and live in that appreciation, and God, to know that that you were a stranger. God, that you were rejected and despised. God, you can understand um, our plight. You understand the loneliness and the hurt um, that's out there in this world. And your call to us, as you shared in Matthew 25, God, was, Lord, that we would be people that would feed the hungry and quench the thirst of the thirsty and Provide for the homeless and the broken and the battered in ways that, that show your love very tangibly to people so that the, the gospel is not just um, a message, but it's, it's a truth. It has skin on it as well. Lord, help this Christmas, this Advent time, be a different experience for us, that we would celebrate and know you in ways like never before, that the reality that you are with us God, that you came and you put on skin and you lived so that we might live. God, would just hit us in a fresh way. We love you. We thank you for your truth that sets us free. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.